Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. President Biden meets with Xi Jinping, the leader of the Chinese Communist regime. The two men say they are willing to cooperate with each other. Democrats keeping control of the Senate. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer outlines what he wants to do. The House of Representatives, though, is still up for grabs. With Senate leadership elections rapidly approaching this week, multiple senators are saying it's too soon. Meanwhile, Senator Josh Hawley says the old road leads to nowhere. A protest outside the Maricopa County Elections Office. What concerns are demonstrators talking about? We hear from a reporter who was on the scene. President Biden met with Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping today in Indonesia. This was their first in-person meeting since Biden became president. President Biden on Monday met with Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping on the Indonesian island of Bali. They are both in Indonesia for the Group of 20, or G20, summit, which is set to take place on Tuesday. In his opening remarks, Biden highlighted his personal relationship with Xi. You and I have had a number of candid and useful conversations over the years and uh, since I became president as well. You're kind enough to call me to congratulate me and I congratulate you as well. Xi recently secured a precedent-breaking third term as the leader of the Chinese regime. And Biden says the U.S. is ready to work with Xi on a number of global issues. And uh, the world expects, I believe, China and the United States to play key roles in addressing global challenges from climate uh, changes to food insecurity and to, for us to be able to work together. The United States stands ready to do just that, work with you if that's what you desire. Xi, on the other hand, said the current status of the U.S.-China relationship is not in the interests of the two countries. He also said he looks forward to working with Biden. We need to chart the right course for the China-U.S. relationship. We need to find the right direction for the bilateral relationship going forward and elevate the relationship. The two men have held five phone or video calls since Biden became president. But the meeting on Monday was their first time seeing each other in person since Biden took office. In our meeting today, I'm ready to have a candid, as we always did, have a candid and in-depth exchange of views with you on issues of strategic importance in China-U.S. relations and on major global and regional issues. Biden and Xi are expected to discuss Taiwan, the war in Ukraine, and North Korea's nuclear ambitions. These topics will also be discussed during the G20 summit. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov has dismissed news reports that he was taken to the hospital with a heart condition while scolding Western journalists for what he says is false reporting. Federation, 
An Associated Press report cites Indonesian officials that say Lavrov was taken to the hospital after arriving on the island of Bali for a Group of 20 summit. Four Indonesian government and medical officials told the Associated Press that Lavrov was receiving treatment at the Sangla Hospital in the provincial capital, Denpasar. He arrived on the resort island ahead of the meeting, which begins Tuesday. All the officials declined to be identified as they were not authorized to discuss the matter publicly. The hospital did not immediately comment. Two of the officials said Lavrov was treated for a heart condition. Lavrov is the highest-ranking Russian official at the gathering. President Joe Biden, Chinese leader Xi Jinping, and others are attending. On to U.S. domestic affairs, about 200 protesters turned out at the Maricopa County Tabulation Center on Saturday. Republican State Senator Wendy Rogers tweeted for patriots to rise up to rally. Residents voiced their concerns about what they called Election Day voting irregularities. We get an update from a reporter who was on the scene. Please welcome Katie Davis-Court, a reporter for Rebel News. It's great to have you with us today, Katie. Yes, thank you so much for having me on. You're on the ground in Maricopa County, outside the remaining vote counting facility. Over the weekend, there were protesters outside. Please tell us about that and what the protesters' main concerns are. Right, you know, well, history, it just seems to be repeating itself here in Maricopa County. We're seeing the same thing that happened during the 2020 presidential election play out again in 2022. It's almost like the twilight zone outside of Maricopa County. They can't seem to know how to run elections smoothly. You know, the election happened on Tuesday. It is now Monday, and there are still hundreds of thousands of ballots left to be counted. And the voters are fed up, which is why they have been protesting sporadically outside of the Maricopa County Election Center because they feel disenfranchised. When they went to the polls on Tuesday, they were told that the machines were down and some of them waited for hours almost all day just to vote. And the machines were down in more than 26 locations in Maricopa County. So they do not believe that the county is being transparent. So they showed up and there were warnings um, for the pro- for people not to show up to protest outside of Maricopa County in fear that they would be labeled January 6th insurrectionists. But what I witnessed on the ground were peaceful protesters. They marched with American flags. They sang Chris- Christian music. And they just expressed that the United States needs to have more election inte- integrity. And what I witnessed on the ground, the United States elections has just changed so much. There is fencing that was erected around the premises. There are sheriffs, dozens of sheriffs manning the fencing. And there is a drone flying above that is surveilling the public. So you have to ask, how did the United States turn into kind of third world country style elections? Katie, you mentioned that there were concerns these protesters would be labeled insurrectionists. What is the sentiment of the protesters right now and what are they hoping to accomplish? Yeah, so they just want more election integrity laws implemented in the future. They don't think that the county is being transparent. And that is why they are, um, you know, they're, they're showing up to have their voices heard. They think that Maricopa County is deliberately releasing Democrat heavy precincts ballots first and holding off on the Republican ones to try to get candidate Carrie Lake to concede. But they are remaining peaceful. They don't want to be labeled these terrorists like the mainstream media tries to portray them to be. 
and certainly we'd want the ballots to be counted in the order that they're received and not anything else. Now, this is something you've reported on in your, you know, the level of security and surveillance at the voting facility. Can you elaborate on this? Yeah, so there is a large fence that is blocking people from the outside to getting to even getting near to the building and it is being manned by Maricopa County sheriffs who are great by the way. They have all been very kind to both protesters and media, but they're also not allowing all media in the premises. You have to get a special uh, press pass through the county, but they're only allowing really mainstream media to get in there. So you touched on law enforcement and the media. What is the media's role in situations like this one in Maricopa County? How can the media be responsible to the public when there's so much mistrust and speculation over what's taking place? Yes, exactly. So the media's role is to just report the truth and accuracy. And it is not their role to call the United States elections, the, the winners, until every vote has been counted. The media's main role is to just provide truth uh, to, the, to the public, and the protesters don't think that that's happening. Well, it's wonderful to have your on-the-ground update. Katie Davis-Court, reporter for Rebel News, pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for having me. More questionable developments surrounding elections. A woman reported finding completed ballots along the side of a road in Northern California. NBC Bay Area reported the discovery on Friday. The discarded ballots were from Santa Clara County. They were found in a ravine near Highway 17 in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Pictures show around two dozen ballots. Two of the people whose ballots were recovered told NBC that they dropped off their ballots at a post office in San Jose last weekend. NBC Bay Area says they obtained a statement from the Santa Clara County Registrar of Voters on Sunday. It says the discarded ballots were found along with non-election mail, including letters and parcels. The Registrar of Voters is encouraging people to track their votes online to make sure they reach their destination. The postal inspector is processing the ballots as evidence. They will then be given to the elections office to be counted. And zooming out to the national scale, Democrats are projected to keep control of the Senate, but the House is still up for grabs. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more. Democrats are keeping the Senate after winning battles in Arizona, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer responded to results Sunday. This is a very happy day. Senator Catherine Cortez Masto's victory in Nevada Saturday gave Democrats the 50 seats they needed to keep the Senate. Schumer said Democrats want to get a lot done in the next two years. It's a difficult world out there. Things are changing so rapidly. People are worried about their future and their children's future. They want us to roll up our sleeves and get things done, and that's what our caucus intends to do. The last question mark for the Senate is Georgia. A runoff election is scheduled for December. If Republican candidate Herschel Walker wins, that would split the Senate 50-50. In that case, Vice President Kamala Harris would have the tie-breaking vote. President Biden said he's optimistic about Georgia. Well, I'll tell you what, congratulations to Senator Schumer. He's got a majority again, and we're focusing now on, on Georgia. We feel good about where we are. Control of the Senate means Democrats will still be able to approve Biden's nominees, such as federal judges. It means they'll also keep control of committees and have the power to conduct investigations or oversight of the Biden administration. Meanwhile, the House of Representatives is still up for grabs. To control the House, either party needs 218 seats. According to polling website 538, as of Monday morning, Republicans had 211 seats, while Democrats had 206 seats. 
With control of the House still uncertain, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi Sunday said it was too soon to say whether she'll try to keep her leadership post. At 82 years old, she told ABC News Sunday she has no plans to step away from Congress. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Speaking of Congress, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is calling for a plan to reopen the entire Capitol complex next January. That's when he presumes Republicans will take the House of Representatives. The Capitol building hasn't been fully open to the public since the COVID shutdown in March 2020. McCarthy stressed citizens' constitutional right to petition the first branch of government. But a spokesman for House Speaker Nancy Pelosi described his order as intimidation, calling it a desperate attempt to divert voter attention from GOP performance in the elections. Control of the House is still up in the air after the midterm elections. Currently, 19 contested seats remain undecided. Republicans need seven of those seats to flip the House. Senator Josh Hawley had some tough talk for the Republican Party after it failed to retake the Senate majority. He wrote on social media that, quote, the old party is dead. Time to bury it. Build something new. Entity's Daniel Monahan has more. A string of hard losses by the Republican Party, dashing any hopes of retaking the Senate, has many looking for a scapegoat. For Republicans, U.S. Senate elections in Pennsylvania, Nevada, and Arizona have all gone the wrong way. A Hail Mary catch by Herschel Walker in Georgia can no longer save the day. Senator Hawley has labeled the Republican program Washington Republicanism. He accuses the party of caving to Big Pharma on insulin and caving to Chuck Schumer on gun control and the Green New Deal. He says Republican Senate leaders aren't backing initiatives that are supported by their voters. Hawley, along with Senators Marco Rubio and Rick Scott, have reportedly circulated a letter. It calls for Republicans to postpone their November 16th Senate leadership vote. Senator Lindsey Graham has also thrown his lot in with them. He posted on Twitter yesterday that the vote should be postponed until after the Georgia Senate race runoff. It is widely expected that Mitch McConnell will try and reclaim his Senate leadership position. Some, including former President Donald Trump, called for McConnell to be ousted as leader of the GOP in the Senate. Meanwhile, Senator Rick Scott has criticized the Republicans' lack of a plan. On the leadership elections, he says that insanity is doing the exact same thing and thinking you're going to get a different result. On the topic of running for leadership himself, Scott says he won't take anything off the table. Senator Ron Johnson also says holding elections in just a few days is absurd and that they need to have thorough discussions internally. But Senator Tom Cotton says he's backing Mitch McConnell. He says why delay the election when all five or six of our leadership elections are uncontested, adding that no one has had the nerve to step forward and challenge McConnell anyway. And according to Cotton, the great wrestling champion Ric Flair used to say, to be the man, you gotta beat the man. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. In other news, Chris Magnus has resigned as Commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection. This comes amid a record number of illegal immigrants coming in from Mexico. Statistics show that through the end of September, arrests of illegal immigrants had increased by about 37% compared to last year. Magnus's resignation letter didn't specify a reason for his leaving the post, but he did face calls from both sides of the aisle for his dismissal. Several lawmakers denounced Magnus for failing to handle the border crisis and for frequently missing White House meetings on the border situation, even sleeping on the job. Magnus argued that the critics were either unfair or uninformed. The White House on Saturday said that President Joe Biden has accepted Magnus's resignation. 
Next, we have more news on the tragic plane crash in Dallas over the weekend. At least three people who died have been identified. This is from the mid-air collision of two World War II-era planes. One was a B-17 Flying Fortress bomber, and the other was a P-63 King Cobra fighter plane. They crashed at the Wings Over Dallas event on Saturday. Video footage of the collision shared on social media showed the two planes colliding and then falling to the ground and setting off a large ball of spire and smoke. Terry Barker, a former city councilman and U.S. Army veteran, was one of the six people killed. Another victim has been identified as Len Root, a former crew member of the Allied Pilots Association. And the third person identified so far is Major Curtis J. Rowe, a longtime veteran of the Ohio Wing Civil Air Patrol. A Dallas County judge said on Sunday that officials are investigating the event and will continue to identify the victims. And coming up, we have the result of the NFL's first ever regular season game in Germany. Find out what records were set and who came out on top. And a two-pound batch of Italian white truffles sells for almost $200,000 at auction. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. Tom Brady makes history during the first ever regular season NFL game held in Germany. He becomes the first quarterback in the league to start and win in four different countries. Yeah, that was one of the great uh, football experiences I've ever had. So it says a lot for 23 years in the league and for a regular season game. And I think the fan turnout was incredible. It felt like uh, very electric from the time we took the field. You know, a lot of Seahawks fans here. <laughs> the crowd was electric, though. It, it was loud throughout the ball game from beginning to end. Uh, I thought the German fans were outstanding, and it was a great place to play. It's also the first time two NFL teams at the top of their divisions have faced off overseas. The Bucks beat the Seattle Seahawks 21-16 at Munich's Allianz Arena. The Bucks had a 14-0 lead until Tom Brady ended up as receiver instead of quarterback. Then an interception slowed their momentum. The Seahawks were able to score but couldn't take the lead. The Bucks have struggled a bit this season but managed to pick up their fifth win, bringing them to a five-win, five-loss record so far this season. Bucks wide receiver Julio Jones mentioned he was impressed by the huge attendance of almost 50,000 fans. The NFL said it could have sold over three million tickets to the game. Now on to some tennis news. Switzerland wins their first Billie Jean King Cup title. It's thanks to Belinda Bencic, who beat an Australian player in straight sets in the second match of the finals. That gave the team an unassailable 2-0 lead. Bencic had not dropped a set all week and was in complete control against her opponent. She delivered a commanding performance and swiftly wrapped up the victory in an hour and 15 minutes. It followed a key break for the Swiss. They won a game that lasted only 11 minutes against a fatigued Australian player. In total, the Swiss won hard-fought victory in two hours and 18 minutes. The Swiss and Australian teams also clashed in the semifinals of last year's event in Prague. At that contest, Switzerland went on to finish runner-up to Russia. Australia has won seven times, but not since 1974. They also came in second in 2019 when they were beaten by France. Back in the States, an iconic sign of the holiday season, the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree has arrived in New York City. It went up in Midtown Manhattan on Saturday. 
A crowd watched and cheered as it was lifted into place. The massive Christmas tree weighs 14 tons and is 82 feet tall. Its lower branches extend 50 feet in diameter. It's no small feat to find such a huge tree. In fact, this Norway spruce is approximately 90 years old. It comes from 200 miles away in Queensbury, New York, and was cut down last Thursday. Now, New Yorkers look forward to seeing the tree lit up, but they'll have to wait until November 30th. It takes 50,000 multicolored lights to decorate and a 900-pound star to top it off. After the holidays, the tree will be milled into lumber and donated to Habitat for Humanity. But the next holiday on the horizon is Thanksgiving. Turkeys can't fly, but they can cause many Americans to take to the air. Travel app Hopper predicts 70% of people in the U.S. will be leaving home to spend the Thanksgiving holiday with family and friends. The company says roughly 3.3 million people will be hitting the road the Sunday before Thanksgiving Thursday. According to their findings, Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson International will be the busiest airport in the U.S., followed by Dallas-Fort Worth and Denver International. Others in the top 10 include JFK in New York City and LAX in Los Angeles. And a batch of Italian white truffles weighing over two pounds was sold for over $190,000 at an auction in a 13th century Italian castle. This prized tuber went to a Hong Kong businessman after an auction was held at the same time in Hong Kong, Singapore, Seoul, Vienna, and Doha. Italy's northwestern Piedmont region produces these tubers. They grow simultaneously in the earth in just a few regions of Italy and Central Europe. They are found two to eight inches below the ground near the roots of trees. Only well-trained dogs and experienced hunters can find them. The historic International Alba White Truffle Fair attracts around 100,000 visitors each year from all over the world. They come to the little town in Piedmont to buy, sell, and smell the expensive delicacy. Unlike black truffles, which can be cultivated on plantations, the white truffles grow only naturally in forests. With the cooler weather, there is the temptation to go for comfort foods, but will that keep your immune system healthy? Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. The cold has fully set in, so you'll want to keep ahead of any sick days with good nutrition. To do that, you'll need to reach for superfoods. And what makes them super? Well, for one, they are more nutrient-dense and usually come through fruits and vegetables. Yes, kids may be picky eaters, but bypassing complaints is easy. Instead of steaming kale and cauliflower, try roasting them in olive oil, salt and garlic. Roasting improves their flavor and makes them crispier. Healthy seeds and grains like quinoa, millet, flax or chia can easily be hidden in cookies or banana bread. Introduce kids back to elderberries. They contain tons of anthocyanins, which are a must for stimulating the body's immune system. Greek yogurt is a superfood containing probiotics and protein. Add a dash of cinnamon to help balance blood sugar. And don't forget to add fresh berries. When preparing trail mixes, use goji berries and mulberries instead of peanuts. Sprinkle in flaked coconut and dark chocolate chips for a delicious and nut-free snack. And what about avocados? The good fats, protein and fiber of avocado boosts brain action and concentration. You can also hide it in a smoothie. 
when kids get sick sometimes, it's hard getting them to drink lots of fluids. Use soups or offer them watermelon, strawberries, cucumbers, oranges and tomatoes instead. Moms don't need weak immune systems when the stress is on, so try lemon with your tea to cut out phlegm. Honey helps sore throats, but go for non-pasteurized to get the health-boosting properties. And don't overlook spices. Ginger tea reduces inflammation. Cinnamon will open sinuses or try peppermint oil in a diffuser. A little planning will keep your family healthy at this time of year. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.